podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media. What a wonderful privilege to witness the baptism together and to uh, connect with uh, Rice's story. And I want to spend a few moments reflecting on uh, what it means to uh, be made alive in Christ. It's a phrase that comes from the book of Ephesians, a book that we're studying together. And it's a wonderful uh, section of scripture to reflect on, having just witnessed a baptism. What does it mean to be made alive in Christ? So if you have a Bible, uh, digital or paper, I invite you to find Ephesians chapter 2 and to follow along. The words will be up on the screen, and if you're not at home in the Bible, that's no worries at all. I hope that uh, the visit that you take to the scriptures today will be a good experience for you. Paul is writing to a community that is uh, a big, big city in the ancient world with a group of Christians living in that city. Many of them have come from very secular experiences. They have stepped into the Christian journey from an experience being far outside of religious commitments of the sort that Jesus is inviting us to. And so he speaks about you, And that is him addressing the group of people who don't have a Jewish heritage. They don't have an insider knowledge of things religious. And he is inviting them to reflect on what it is that Jesus does for us. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at work, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. All right, that's the dark paragraph. Oh my goodness. Really? All of that? We'll put that in perspective. In verse 4, the most critical word, but. So all of that, but here's another story. But, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's that phrase at the middle of that 
reading, Made Alive with Christ, that I'd like us to reflect on. That's the experience that I want in my daily journey. It's the experience that I pray for in all of your lives and in our lives together as a church. And Paul describes two scenarios, the kind of before and after of those who are in the church experience. He describes the, the, the first as being dead in your life. You're standing in the middle of your life, you're going through the actions, but you're dead. And then he describes this other picture of standing in the midst of all kinds of darkness and death and challenge and brokenness and being alive. There are two fascinating ways to think about life and existence. To be standing in your life and dead and becoming deader, or to stand in the deadness and brokenness and all the wrong that we can see around us in the world, but to be very much alive, very much alive. And this is the difference that Christ makes. He describes that common experience of being in your life but dead as motivated by two things, the cravings of the flesh, he says, and the spirit who rules the kingdom of the air. He, he has a very practical side to it and a kind of a spiritual side to it. That's a really interesting reflection because it lines up with human experience. When you interrogate your experience, when you think about your experience, it's a pretty good description of what goes on. You make choices, and then somehow those choices, when they're bad choices, those decisions, those directions, somehow it's like they get easier. And pretty soon you find yourself on a kind of a, a, kind of a path that is destructive. He uses this imagery of the cravings of the flesh, the things that we, that we want and that we think about that lead to what he calls disobedience. And you can frame that up however you want. We all know a version of it. We all know that sense of making the wrong commitments, going in the wrong direction, and then it seems like it picks up speed. And he explains that to us as something that is a mix of our our cravings, our decisions, our thoughts, and the spirit of the kingdom of the air, the, the, the ruler who is involved in those who choose darkness. Everything that Paul is talking about in this passage, he sets it in the context of ancient cosmology. There were complex cosmologies thought out by the Egyptians, by the Assyrians, by that, that, whole, that whole Mesopotamian world, and, and ways of thinking that were usually layered. There's the earth, where we live. There's the air, where there are powers at work. There are the heavens. And in some cosmologies, layers complex. Paul, as with most of the Old Testament writers, don't enter into all the detail of the, the cosmologies. They just use the language of their culture to try to talk about their experience of God's love. And so Paul says that in life, you can have a deep sense of making choices that are bad, and then it is as if those choices get power-assisted. And before you know it, you are in a darker, deeper place. Who in this room drives a car with power-assisted steering? Anyone? That would be all of you. 
That would be all of you. Way back in college, I acquired a car. It was an economy model, and that was the point. It needed to be cheap, cheap, cheap. It was big, a lot of metal, but it had no heater in the car. Remember now, I grew up in Canada. This is serious economy. <laughs> serious economy. It had no radio, and it had no power-assisted steering. And the thing was a tank. Janet and I were dating at the time. She was not keen on driving this car. It fought back at every turn. You had to have a second bowl of cereal in the morning just to drive the thing to classes. It was, it was so challenging to get around the corners because there was no assistance whatsoever. You were on your own, just sort of the power of your, your arm muscles to the road. And then some time passed, and I was able to acquire a little car with power-assisted steering. It was the early days. I think it was power-over-assisted steering, actually. And I remember driving to class one day using one finger on the wheel, just because I could. It was so easy to turn that thing. Paul is saying that there are forces at work in the world that make your bad choices easier because there is a ruler of the spirit of the air, there is a, 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 a force that wants to assist your bad choices. Modern science has worked this out in lots of different ways for us. And we not now know the power of habit. We now know that if you do something and repeat it, your brain gets wired up in various ways. We now know all kinds of things to give explanation to this. And you might be tempted to just write Paul off as an ancient with some silly wisdom about spooks that are kind of popping up here and there. Or you might want to interrogate your experience and see if what he is saying doesn't have this edge of truth to it. Because when you are in this place and wanting to do better, it can feel like you don't actually have control. It can feel like the desires of the flesh, the thoughts that emerge, the patterns that are there, are just, are just driving you. Now, what is actually true is that you have full choice. You have full autonomy. But once you lean in a particular direction, your bad choices are power-assisted. And before you know it, you're going around the corner. That's the picture that Paul paints for us. And we all know it, he says. We've all been there. And this, this heaps up upon us more and more layers of frustration. And he refers to wrath, this, this sense of, of the, 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 the consequences of evil. The, 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 the angry consequences of evil. And elsewhere in his writings, he puts this in the context of God and God's ways with us and how we live in a world that if we transgress God's ways and purposes, we end up shipwrecked and we experience the full weight of a holy God, which is like wrath upon our souls. Now, what does it mean to be made alive in Christ? That whole setup is not to freak us out. That whole setup is to allow us to celebrate and to praise when we understand what is happening in the work of Jesus Christ in the world. 
And so the phrase that Paul uses is that we are made alive with Christ. Scenario one, you're standing in your life and you're, you're dead in your life. It, 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 it is like there are forces that are capturing you. Scenario two, you are made alive, and even though you stand in a world of transgression and you are aware of your own weakness and brokenness, you are fully alive to new possibilities. And so what does it mean to be made alive with Christ? It means two things. One, that God has done something cosmic and real that you need to put your faith in and trust in, and God has given you a new vantage point, a new perspective, a new way of seeing all of life. Paul puts that this way. We have been raised with Christ, and we have been seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Something cosmic has happened, and there's an opportunity for you to have a whole new perspective on life. You can sit in a new seat. You can sit in a new seat. Have you ever gone to the theater, snuggled into your seat, and thought, this is fantastic. I can see the stage. This is wonderful. And then the tallest person in the whole room along with their tall partner, sits right in the two seats in front of you, and everything disappears. Yeah? And Paul says, God has seated you in a place where you can see things wildly differently. And this is what motivates and underwrites the Christian journey. Two things. We are raised with Christ. We are seated with Christ in heavenly realms. And so what does it mean to be raised with Christ? Well, for this, we just need to think about what is said of Jesus Christ. What testimony the apostles bear to Jesus Christ. What the scriptures say about Jesus Christ. And what Christians have come to experience in their walk with Jesus Christ. That he came to this earth. That he lived a human life. That he engaged with the struggles that you and I engage with. That he, that he entered into a, a, a relationship with God that was deep and powerful and meaningful and motivating and that he died a death like no one else. He died a death as God's son for the sins of the world. That's a mystery. I've done theology classes, and I've got this much more understanding. It's a mystery. It's a mystery that I lean into by faith, that God could become for us a sacrifice of sin in his son that takes away my sins. That's the deep faith proposition of the Christian journey. And that what Jesus did was cosmic. What he has done is he has positioned me so that I am, like Christ, a, a, a raised up individual. I have new life. I have a new power operating in my, in my life. The power of resurrection. The same power that God exerted to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is available and at work in me as his follower. And that cosmic thing that he has done to change the game for every human being is what we put our faith in, and then we take a whole new perspective on life and what it's all about. I wish I could tell you that the ruler of this, this world, that the spirit that is at work making evil easy was all done. That's in the future. Hence, we need to sit in he heavenly realms and see it. That power will still work if you let it. But here's the gospel. Here's the good news. There is a greater power at work in you that if you choose it, 
oh my goodness. It will accelerate the good choices. It will energize your life. You are God's handiwork, made in God's image for good works that he has purposed for you to do long in advance. He has a path and a plan for you. And as you lean into those possibilities, there is a power at work in you that is greater than he that is in the world. You and I are in a power-assisted dynamic, as Paul the Apostle would tell us, using ancient cosmology to help us see some really powerful, powerful ideas. And if you lean toward Christ, that's what a life of faith is. God will be with you. The Holy Spirit will enable you, and you will experience power-assisted good living. Now, there's a thought. Oh, hallelujah. Imagine, imagine a whole community of people knit together in a sense of, of solidarity, seeking to be, Paul's image, the body of Jesus in the world, who are, who are leaning in the direction of God's will and purpose and power-assisted in that living. And so our choices every day, they matter. The, the way we build up spiritual muscle by spending time just quietly waiting in God's presence. It's that little moment when, you know, which way am I going to go here in this decision, in this choice? That if we can just lean Godward, there's power-assisted living in that direction. And it is a greater power. And why are we seated in heavenly realms? That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? You got a front row seat, says Paul, on the unfolding history of God's big cosmic purpose. And when you read through those verses in Ephesians, he says that the heavenly seat is so that we can see the incredible good things God has in store for us all. Because the big promise of the Christian story is that it is not tracking toward destruction and, 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 and collapse. It is tracking toward renewal. It is tracking toward deep, profound renewal in which there are no longer tears for painful, sorrowful, suffering moments. There are no longer experiences of brokenness and hurt and violence and war. There are no longer the things that make human life so difficult. And so what we do when we spend time with God is we work on those decisions. Lord, be with me. Assist me. May your power be in my life so that I lean in a Godward direction. And we take our seat in a place that allows us to just take hold of God's big, big promises. Most days, it is really hard to believe that the world is going to be renewed and that there are not going to be any tears. Because most days, there are lots of tears. And if there are no tears, it's because I'm not paying attention. Right? Most days, there's just a lot to be sorrowful for. And so one of the gifts that God gives to God's people is a seat with Christ in heavenly realms. It is a way of seeing the world. It is a way of, of reflecting on what God is doing in this world and living into each day with that eternal promise. And that can influence 
everything. So my question to you this morning is, are you being made alive with Christ? Have you, have you taken a moment in your life when you have placed your life in Jesus' hands, when you have, in a very practical way, said, I'm going to make a faith choice to let Jesus Christ, the story of his death and resurrection, be the centerpiece that, that motivates my living? I'm going to seek God's power for those decisions that I make. And I'm going to sit above the mayhem of life to gain God's perspective. Oh, that helps, you know, when you relate to people. If you're sitting outside the mayhem and you're holding in your heart a wonderful vision of what God could do in this workplace, of what God could be to myself and this person and our relationship, it changes everything. We're going to celebrate the communion meal. So you've come to church this morning, a great, a great Sunday. We're doing uh, the ordinance of baptism and communion here in one day, celebrating the beginnings and celebrating the ongoing journey. Why do we do the communion? So that we can again and again and again anchor these truths that I'm talking about this morning. So that we can again and again and again say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord God, inhabit my life and let your power assist the living that will bring glory and honor to you. Lift me to a seat in heavenly realms so that I can have a vantage and viewpoint that will honor you. The night in which the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he took wine and he shared those elements with his disciples. It was the custom during Passover, but he gave those, those elements new meaning. As he broke the bread, he declared, this is my body, which is for you. And as he shared from a cup of wine, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And he's pointing to the significance of his own death as something that can change the game for us as human beings. We can be with Jesus in death and resurrection. We can be with Jesus in knowing the power to walk in this broken world and be fully alive. We can stand in our lives and be dead, but that's no way to be. We can stand in the deadness and be fully alive. That's what Jesus invites us to. This morning as we receive the communion meal, I just want to ask you if you are comfortable, if you are a follower of Jesus, or if today you just want to say yes to Jesus. If you haven't thought about these things deeply before, but there's something stirring in you, I encourage you to take these these elements, this communion meal, and just let let God stir in your life. As the stewards come, and I'll invite them to come now and just pass you the elements. As you take the symbol of the bread of, of uh, the body of Christ, uh, just eat it when you are ready, just quietly praying. And it's a way of uh, taking into our very lives the truths of Jesus Christ. And then just hold the cup. And when everybody has the cup, we will drink together. We will uh, all uh, participate in that as one family. Let me pray as the communion stewards come now and serve you. Loving God, prepare our hearts, open our lives. Let us receive from you. Lord, we want your power to live in accord with that which will cause 
lives all around us to flourish. And Lord, we want your vantage point in the midst of need and trouble. Help us to see the long game. Lord, we love Jesus Christ and pray that even as we receive in this moment, the wondrous grace of God would be at work in our midst. We pray this to the honor and glory of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.